Hello and welcome back to another edition of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. As always, it's been a while since the last one. I was on holidays for a while over in the UK. Got a chance actually to meet a good friend of mine who runs a wine podcast over in the UK himself. It's called Interpreting Wine and uh, his name is Lawrence, Lawrence Francis. And I'm actually going to be on one of his podcasts. In the future, I will actually borrow his MP3 file and uh, basically run it on one of my podcasts, the conversation that we have together. Quite an interesting podcast and a great guy. And uh, he's been a valuable resource for me for navigating my way around the, the podcast universe over the last, uh, since I started over the last few episodes, especially. I owe him a great deal. And the other thing I wanted to get out of the way as well was I did have a few giveaways over the last few episodes, and I believe I've mentioned who won, but I just wanted to mention on this on this podcast. So we had the bottle of Pinot Noir that was won by Steve in, in British Columbia in Canada, and we had the T-shirt from Christy Norman's Psalm Design Company, and that was won by Jack, who currently resides in Hong Kong, but he's based out of California. And we also had the Cork Dork book, which was from the Bianca Bosker episode. And that was won by Lisa, who lives in Alberta, who is also in Canada. So congratulations for those three. This episode will feature Katie Trescott. Katie is a wine writer. She is in the Okanagan in Canada. And she recently moved back home. She lived in South Africa for the last 10 years. So very well versed in the South African wine industry. She is a a great wine writer. She's working on her W sets as well. First of all, obviously the differences between what she saw in the South African wine industry and and what she's seen so far in the Okanagan industry. The other area we're going to talk about is a kind of a, a question I've been having lately about blind tastings, which is specifically when you have winemakers, new world winemakers who have a grape and they know what that grape is traditionally known for, the nose, the taste, what it's traditionally known for, but they add their own flavor to it. They add their own, what they're thinking in their head that it's supposed to taste like or what they want it to taste like, what their vision is. Can you blind taste those wines? As Raj says, when you do an exam, when you have an actual psalm exam or you have an actual blind tasting they do classic varietals with classic what the classic taste of a, of a grape is a pinot is supposed to taste a certain way a sauvignon blanc a chardonnay the classic grapes your cabernet sauvignons your albarinos your all your classics sangiovese so those are the grapes that they're supposed to taste a certain way you have your barolos you you have a certain flavor profile to change it, to have a winemaker change it, very difficult to blind taste. Is that fair? Is that something that should be blind tasted? When a winemaker, a new world winemaker, is just making what's what's in his head, whereas a traditional grape, Pinot Noir, a Cabernet Franc, you're looking for that leather, cigar box, you know, the tobacco. You're looking for those notes in a Cabernet Franc. If all of a sudden you find that in a different grape, that's going to mess you up when you're looking for that in a, tradi- in a traditional grape. So that's one of the questions I have for her as well. We'll get to that in a bit. And the other thing I wanted to mention was 
a thank you to all of you who've been patient in between episodes. I've got people who listen in California. I've got people who listen around the world in the UK, New Zealand, in Austria. I really appreciate the fact that there are people out there patiently waiting for a new episode and continuing to support my my endeavor to provide knowledge and provide insight from various guests within the wine world. I'm hoping to have on a different variety of guests over the next few episodes as well. I've got some wine importers lined up. I've got some wine writers lined up. I've got a winemaker lined up. I've got a master psalm lined up. So I want to add a variety to it as well so that as you and I grow in our knowledge, we get and retain all that knowledge. We get that knowledge from all these great guests through the great guests that we're trying to have on the podcast. I'm trying to provide that knowledge to people and and hopefully that knowledge is getting out there to you guys and and you're enjoying it. If you're enjoying it, send me a note, send me a send me an email saying I'm really enjoying this or hey, I really I really want to hear this person or I really want to hear you talk about whatever it is that you want me to talk about. Send me an email, friends of the vine podcast at gmail.com. So once again, thank you as always and let's get right into it. I mean, it's literally been a year that we've been talking about this. Amazing. And amazing how how you can connect with someone. Well, I mean, I was still in South Africa when we connected. You were in Vancouver. And just sort of like how you can connect and share so much about a mutual passion like wine. And here we are now doing a podcast together, talking on the phone, both drinking a glass of wine. I love it. And it's just what I love about social media and wine. Yeah, especially Instagram's been so good for that. Just even connecting... My wife always jokes because I'm like, she'll say, how did you get so-and-so? How did you get... And I'm like, I just I just sent him a message, you know? Yeah, just Instagram. I know um, yeah. a lot of people who sort of aren't on Instagram or aren't sort of involved in social media don't really understand that side of my life either because all they see is sort of your face and your phone, which I think you have to also be conscious of because you do need to be present in real life too. And Instagram... And I, I think we can all admit that it can take a lot of your time connecting, answering messages that you sort of watch the rest of the world go by. Just something I'm learning to become more conscious about. You've mentioned that yours kind of grew, not not spontaneously, but almost it just started growing like it just caught wind, you know? Pretty much as soon as I started dedicating my page to wine and also spending more time on the app, my following started growing. But it did come with a lot of hours and work because I was following people and talking to people in the wine industry, sort of what you do, and getting to know people. And I think with that just came the following and the community and the networking, and it grew. And I think once you sort of accrue a certain amount of followers, other people will follow you just based on that fact. But For me, it's always just been more about a wine community and networking with people I want to get to know, sharing a mutual passion, having fun, um, not taking ourselves too seriously as winos. That's just what I love so much about Instagram and and the app. Uh, I definitely have days where I hate it, but (laughs) most times I enjoy being on it and using it and sharing sort of my passion for wine with people. And of course, meeting people like you and having conversations like this it's, it's phenomenal really yeah and i well for me as well i i find that uh as you've said like i've had on some some big names and 
they've been nothing but accommodating as well. It's really, it really is amazing. And, and some people have said, maybe not right now, but you know, in the future, some people have said, Brian, for example, was, was pretty much within three weeks or something. It was, we had, we had, we had uh, hooked up on, on our podcast and stuff. And some people have said, it's harvest time right now. I'll get back to you in October. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like, okay, fair enough. Right. Or like Raj, Raj has his book coming out soon. Madeline has her book coming out soon. So there was good timings for some, some of them as well. Um, yeah. Madeline's Madeline from Wine Folly has said that we'll we'll do one soon as well, and I know it's it's good timing for her because she's finally finished her book, so she can kind of rest a bit and and also try and promote it as well. So I I, I have no problems you know helping people in that sense too and getting a chance to yeah. chat with them. So and well, congrat I mean and congratulations on all that and getting to know those kind of names, but it also I think just speaks for the community that we're involved in the wine community. People just are in it for the passion and love yeah. of it. And I don't think, you know, there's room for big egos. Everyone wants to sort of, for the most part, see each other succeed and and, um, and share with one another. And yeah, I think as long as we're talking about wine, yeah. true wine nerds will, will do it. They'll jump yeah. on board. <laughs> yeah, so. that, that's totally true. Like if you if you share that passion and you uh, enjoy, enjoy what you're doing and, and want to talk wine with people, and there's so many topics like it's I almost have to pare it down a little bit with some people because you and I could probably talk for the next two hours yeah. and it would be amazing uh, but trying to kind of funnel it in one way or another at least to to kind of keep it from from being, <laughs> from going on crazy tangents which I'm sure it will but that's <laughs> I'll try my best to, to sort of answer in short sentences. Uh, <laughs> But I'm drinking right now. You told me what you're drinking. I'm right. finishing at the last of the smoke show by the Hatch, oh, which yes. I think I reviewed on my Insta a couple of days ago, and 15.5 percent alcohol. So it's a little, a little big, a little fortified. Um, <laughs> interesting, sort of brings up the whole subject of smoke taint and the Okanagan right. and everything like that, and I'm, which I'm sure you're very aware of. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's talk about what you want to talk about. Well, let's let's. Uh... <laughs> Well, no. Let's start with let's start with let's go back a little bit. Let's go back. Let's let's start from the beginning. So before before South Africa, was there appreciation for wine? Was there was there that moment for you, or was it was it getting yourself into the? Some people say it's a gradual appreciation. You know what I mean? And it's a small small moments, small epiphanies, and. I think it wasn't so much a gradual appreciation for me so much as is a couple of aha moments. Being a student in Canada, I went to Ubic on the island. I drank a lot of wine, but it was generally sort of cheaper, um, nasty stuff. Uh, well, not nasty, just cheaper, not great. Yeah. When I made it to South Africa, I started getting really interested in the wine culture there. Started drinking some nice wines and I decided I, I want to know more about what's in my glass let me take WSET one. And a lot of people now, wine nerd friends make fun of me, but I mean, I took level ones. I wanted to start from the very beginning. I really didn't know much and that was 2015. I went from one directly to two, directly to three. I jumped from one to another and even then after that, I jumped straight into to the diploma, hmm. which is where I sit now, um, two exams left. Yeah, and, and through WSET, through my mentor, Kathy, uh, Kathy Marston over in South Africa, 
I started tasting and learning and gaining this appreciation for South African wines particularly, and I just fell in love. I mm. just fell head over heels in love with wine. It fascinated me, just the endless sort of amount of knowledge that I could gain. It was never ending. And just for me, yeah, I think I got bitten by the wine bug. Yeah. <laughs> and there was no looking back. There still isn't. And it's an evolutionary sort of process now that I'm still in. I feel like every day or every time I open a new bottle, it gets better and better and I learn a little bit more. And sort of Instagram and blogging has just become about a journey that I want to share with people. Yeah, that. yeah, that's that's yeah. a fair statement. And uh, I can echo those. I can echo that in a lot of ways as well myself. The wine industry is, is pretty open with helping people, sharing sharing information and really, like you said, getting that knowledge base, if if not through the WSETs, then through chatting with winemakers and, and getting going to tastings and that kind of stuff, it seems. For sure. It was it was difficult for me because I was based in Joburg and, and all of the wineries and the wine regions were in the Cape for yeah. the most part. So when I went down there, I took full advantage of trying to meet people and talk to people. The South African wine community is really beautiful, really connected. People were very accommodating with me. Uh, two or three months into my Instagram journey, wineries were contacting me and sending me wines to review and talk about, and, and that was fantastic. It's a, I don't know if we're going to get into it, but comparing it to, you know, sort of the BC wine industry, the South African wine industry is certainly has a lot more heritage and tradition. So mm. a lot of the people who are involved in the wine industry, they're come from generations of, of sort of wine families and then you do have these sort of young gun types that are that are studying studying to become winemakers and they start creating their own labels or you might find they worked on the bigger estates as winemakers and then they branch off and make their own sort of garagist labels which are really taking off unfortunately not so well exported yet but we're working on it mm. Yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously they're not old world, but they're definitely been around. They've definitely been around for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I've I've uh, I've had this conversation a lot because I don't think the rest of the world classifies South Africa as old world, but I definitely would classify it as old world. They were growing vines in the 1500s, so it is. It's it's old to me. I would disagree. Although it's placed in the new world category, I think it's completely an old world wine region. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of that's I guess my point is that it is kind of classified in that region. Although, like your your love of Shannon, there's only two places that are officially you know designated for Shannon, right? And I mean, and South Africa is one of them. So I mean, that just shows you right there, right? Yeah, well, they're trying it here in BC. So I, I don't know if you saw, we did do a lineup. We did a Quails Gate had a Shannon Blanc. They're growing it there. And we, we lined it up against the South African Shannon. But um, I think people are experimenting with it. But in South Africa, certainly, yes, they know that the that the varietal works very yeah. well there. Um, yeah. And it's been planted there for hundreds of years. Speaking about the BC and speaking about like the, like we we're saying, we always joke like the Wild West kind of um, <laughs> yeah. trying like you said, trying everything and trying, and that I guess my my point with saying that Shannon was like it's like the Loire and and South Africa, right? And mm-hmm. it's people, other people are trying it, but I guess when it comes to officially recognized places, like if you're going to have an exam and you're going to have a blind tasting, and you're and there's only a few places that they that they say no, this this variety has to come from you know this place or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
with BC and being, like I said, being the way the winemakers kind of play around a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, it's, a, it's an industry very much in its infancy, if anything. I mean, I've only been back two months, and when I left, I wasn't very into wine. So coming back with these sort of fresh tourist eyes to my hometown, to my home, and seeing sort of what's happening here, comparing it against a place like South Africa, you could call it the wild, wild west. It's extremely young, and it's um, but it's blossoming. I mean, it, it is such an exciting time to be here. There are wineries popping up everywhere. People are throwing different varietals into the ground they're like i don't know if this is gonna work let's pull this out let's put this in and um i I can't remember i think it's something like 80 varietals are planted around the okanagan at the moment so it's sort of a it's sort of an experiment experimentation game right now and people are figuring out what works yeah also there's the subject of the terroir in the okanagan it completely changes geographically 10 kilometers apart you've got completely different terroir so it's very interesting yeah well and that's like i had that conversation with rajpara where i to me is fascinating that it's still you've got one sub appellation the 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 way they do their appellations or not i mean they don't call appellations they call it geographical indicators right yeah like you've got one i think the golden mile is the only one that's kind of its own little thing but you've got all this area like you said like every 10 kilometers you can't say vernon and up there is is the same as as oliver i think they've just officially coined the second one so not the naramata bench um there is one that that was just past the second one but i have to look it up maybe like black sage black sage or something or yeah (laughs) yeah so we've got two now yeah and like his 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 response was it's early days and they'll you know people will find their way and they'll they'll get their feet and they'll figure out the laws and the the rules and everything else you know what i mean like it's it's so young that they'll figure out they still you know they're still going to figure out what what how they want to work it and so yeah it's it's a great time to be here to sort of witness all that it's exciting for sure it's not like you want them to say oh no you you know like like France or somewhere where it's like, oh no, you can only plant this, right? It's like, no. Yeah, there's you know. definitely, um, you know, the beauty of a new world wine region is that it is sort of anyone's game. You can not do whatever you want. I mean, there are rules here, but there's certainly a lot more freedom associated with new world winemaking compared to the old world. And there's, there's beauty in that, certainly. With new world wines, putting in a wine what they want in their head as opposed yeah. to what's what the grape is truly, you know, known for. You know what I yeah. mean? I want it to taste like this, or I want it to, you know what I mean? And so when you go to a blind tasting or something, that's going to screw people up. And so that's why they a lot of the exams use classic varietals, not not new world, yeah. because they're they're a lot of times they just they want to put what's in their head. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I couldn't agree more. Blind tasting is not for sissies. Blind tasting, your your sort of your own brain can control it. I have that I have that problem a lot in my exams. You should listen to your gut instinct, the first thing that comes to your mind, but also don't let it dominate you. Yeah. I'll sit down, I'll smell a wine, and before I've even tasted it, I'll say, for example, that's Pinot Noir just by looking at it, the color, and then that's yeah. wrong <laughs> because you should go over it. But once your brain sort of decides that's what you think it is it's really hard to dig yourself out of that and it should follow your instinct but at the same time you you 
you've got to go through the whole thing mm. and make an educated decision about what's in your glass. It's so the fun you, of blind tasting. Is are you saying go with your gut or not or not or? or... <laughs> I'm saying fifty percent of both. So <laughs> you're. <laughs> I, I find in exams uh, usually my my gut is generally more right than my sort of my logic sometimes, but you yeah also got to pay attention to the, that logic because there are specific indicators in smell and taste of wine that are also going to be dead giveaways so you've right. got to pay attention to that you don't want to smell it and then come to your conclusion right away and that's i guess and like Risky. like what raj raj was mentioning like the other thing about what i was saying with winemakers just kind of deciding what's in their head because if they're if it's a if it's a merlot and it's tasting not like a merlot it's tasting like a cabernet franc or it's tasting like something else that's a problem because those sh that shouldn't be you know and that's why that's why like with the master psalms and all those exams they they only use classic varietals because if they're yeah you, yeah you, those shouldn't be in those should not be in the blind tastings because then you're definitely going to mess yourself up right yeah and it's just downright mean <laughs> yeah. I think I think by the time you get to your MS or your MW, I mean, <laughs> even the diploma, yeah, it's, uh, it would be mean to do that. You've you've worked really hard, and and um, yeah, I think you should stick to your sort of well-known varietal. Gosh, I can't believe this wine is fifteen point five percent alcohol. I'm trying to remember what officially the percentage is to make it fortified, but I think that's pretty close. That's probably probably maybe about 0.5 away from uh yeah classic um sort of uh effect of smoke taint yeah uh, yeah i i actually was i was actually i still i still uh instagram message with brian and and a couple of the couple of the guys i've had on in the past and brian and i chat every once in a while and he's i was mentioning about smoke taint and stuff and how it's almost going to become, I think you mentioned that in your blog, it's almost going to become the norm, you know what I mean? And, and you're going to have to deal with it, basically. God, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, it sucks for the winemakers. Well, first of all, it sucks for the winemakers because if, you, if you're trying to get it out of there, then that's going to suck. But then if, you have to, if you're trying to embrace it, well, then that's a whole other ballgame too, right? Yeah, but I mean, if, if, if all the wineries and all the winemakers embrace smoke tanks, uh, yeah. we, our industry, I think, would would crash. I, it's such a young industry in its infancy. I, we can't have all of our wines. It's just my personal opinion. We can't have all of our wines, sort of smelling and tasting like smoke with absurdly high alcohol levels. I think consumers are really appreciating what the hatch has done. Um, I think it's creative and it's 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 nice, but it's nice to buy the one bottle. But to have your whole shelf lined with smoke tainted. Yeah wines <laughs> and the it, end of the it, wine industry well and that's the thing it's not going to agree everyone's not going to agree with that everyone's not going to buy that no um, for sure like i'm just thinking about like a like a cabernet franc type wine where you've got those you know the cigars you know all that's the leather and all that not everyone yeah. likes that not everyone's going to want that as their regular red wine you know yeah. so yeah. you're more you're more about the whites though right than reds I do, uh, I do, I'd say I'm about 75% white drinker, 25% red, uh, 60, 40, 65, 35. <laughs> That's difficult. Depends on the season too. As but, the, um, the more red you drink, you'll be like at 80, 20 by the end of it. Like, yeah, exactly. The more, the more of the 15.5% red yeah. I put in my mouth right now. Yeah. <laughs> the end of this podcast is going to be Katie saying, all wine should be smoke taint. 
Paul Wine should be smoke show. <laughs> I promise you not, Ian. I promise you not. But yeah. I'm, I'm actually hoping to have Grayson on uh, in the future as well. Oh, uh, nice. I've met him once briefly. Uh, seems like an extremely cool dude. Yeah, same. I, I had the pleasure of, of going up. I guess this was before you had moved up or moved, mm-hmm. moved to Kelowna. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him and meeting Laura. And, nice. Uh, yeah, lots of fun. It, I always find it funny when she she always talks about uh, the BC brainwash uh, conversation. Mm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of people. It's one thing to support local and and all that, but at the end of the day, if that's all you're drinking, then you're missing out on the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's not just uh, BC brainwash. It's it's every everybody in their wine region has that problem, and I. I, I realized that more than ever. I was so passionate and so focused on South African yeah. wines. When I got here, I, I won't forget it, two months ago, I took a trip down to the South Okanagan, walked into La Stella Winery, had a had a lineup of wine, and I just sort of was like, and nothing against La Stella at all, but I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like nothing I've ever tasted. It mm. was different. Um, my palate was so trained to sort of different style especially the reds at listella south african reds for me the ones i've i've experimented with were nothing like it um and i sort of i i looked at grant who i was with and i was like is this what the all the bc wines are gonna taste like (laughs) i i uh yeah and i'm 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 getting used to it and i'm certainly falling in love with it here i'm falling in love with all the wines the people the scenery everything it definitely has its own yeah, pros and cons, I guess you could say. I loved your driving conversations because with uh, <laughs> with Grant, because I could see us doing that. Where oh, that was with that was with Josh, I think. Josh oh, was right. the wine quarterback. Right, yeah. right, and that's I could see us doing that. Just like every every three minutes, like even this conversation, every three minutes, we're just boom, boom, just yeah. changing. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to I tend to talk a lot. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Just sort of putting up the phone, and we were just like two wine geeks not really directly involved in the in the bc wine industry just talking honestly about sort of what we see and how we see it and that was a that was a cool conversation that was like as my eyes were starting to open about the industry here uh and how i saw it how i see it Um, yeah here's a couple of my my takes a lot of fruit forward obviously yeah um good or bad right like you know you can say good or bad I'm more for Pinots and more for even like and rosés. Like you, you, you did a blog on rosés. Mm-hmm. I'm more about the Provence. I'm so style. happy you read my stuff, Ian. <laughs> what else you. am I gonna do on a Friday night? Right. <laughs> Appreciate it. Anyway, sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, no, just uh, reading the rose about the rosés, and I'm more about the Provence style, where it's you know drier. Um, yeah. I find a, I find a bit of the the BC wine, uh, BC rosés are a little sweet. Yeah. A little too, yeah. little too fruity, a little too. They're nice. There's um, a real, I, uh, there's a real love for sweet wines here by consumers. I've I've noticed that too, and yeah. and I felt frustrated because a lot of times labels here don't list the residual mm. sugar, so it's very difficult. Especially, I spent a, a few shifts at the superstore recommending BC wines to consumers, and I found it very difficult because people are trying to explain to you the sweetness level they like, and mm. if you haven't had that wine yourself. It's hard to to give them sort of what they want, <laughs> but generally it's sweet. <laughs> yeah, one well, and, and <laughs> muscat. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it's like 
no muscat's not a zero um you know it's you yeah. can't <laughs> it's not a how, su- how sweet do you want it sweet okay here's a muscat here's a muscat <laughs> yeah. yeah do you want a sweet and buttery okay perfect here we go here's your chardonnay <laughs> yeah i yeah. uh we're, we're like and it's funny i like mine a little sweeter than than my wife's for example okay. she likes a little drier but then i I like most things sweeter i'm more about mm. like the bourbon and the pecan pie and the you know everything that's except for my scotch apparently my scotch we went to scotland for a couple of weeks and did you go to isla we went literally everywhere yeah. We we drove like it was like two and a half weeks. We drove, we went to Obin Distillery, Valveni. We went to the smallest production distillery in Scotland, which was kind of cool because it's on a, it's actually on a like there's a farm, so it's the smallest production distillery. But they they have like a farm where they're like their barley's like right there, and there's like a river like their water's like right there. So it was like production wise, it was the smallest, but it was actually like a quite a large property. So. Yeah. Apparently, I like it. I like it peaty. I like it smoky, which actually, yeah, you didn't get a chance to go to the island of Isla. That's where. That's basically where where a lot of the peated whiskeys are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we didn't. We didn't go. Uh, there was. There was. We went up towards the Isle of Skye and Inverness, and but there's even higher, further north you could go as well. So oh, stunning. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Regardless, it was. Uh, you're driving around in the highlands and it's uh it's yeah it's just amazing fantastic yeah i lost oh yeah we're talking about rosés <laughs> we're talking about whiskey <laughs> talking about whiskey that's yeah. all right that's the next best thing scotch is good for scotch sure is, scotch is good yeah so apparently i like it smoky apparently so okay so maybe yeah. you'll like the smoke tank wine when i was at the hatch i bought a couple of the rosés i bought I have to look downstairs and see what I bought again. I bought a couple of the reds, a couple of the rosés, and then I bought one of their whites, but it was like a Gewürztraminer, I think, or a Riesling or something. Anyway, I'll, yeah, it's a Riesling. Nice. Yeah, the Black Swift, I think it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah, really right. nice. I just like their whole their whole vibe is is great. You know what I mean? And that's that's one thing, like you said, about the BC wine is you've got or the like the wine industry and a lot of the places are like that where they're just very low key there's one if you ever go up to lake country and, and are doing some wine tasting up there there's one called blind tiger vineyards i think i'm going tomorrow <laughs> there you go i am hitting lake country tomorrow yeah you're gonna try and do two or three vineyards and so and and that's definitely on my to-do list so. yeah if yeah. it is blind tiger one of them or no Yes, I was hoping Ex Nihilo, Blind Tiger, yeah. and uh, maybe do 50th Parallel. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple that are a little sterile, shall we say, for lack of a better term. Very kind of... Yeah. You know, very, very industrial-ish, shall we say. Not industrial. What's the word I'm looking for? Square. Square. That's a good word. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good Stand word. It. Blind Tiger is not. Blind Tiger's got the, you know, they got the dog and and running around the vines, and you well, know. Well, I mean, they named their winery Blind Tiger, so you know immediately it's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, I've got one of their shirts. Yeah. Uh, I I saw their shirt. I loved it. Their logo. Uh, like I said, there's a dog lying on your feet while while you're at the bar tasting the wines. Fantastic. That's great. That's what tasting wine, and especially when these places are, it's all, like if it's like super small where you're literally chatting with the winemaker or you're chatting with the winemaker's family or you know what I mean like it's it's uh it's pretty cool like that 
it's all about sort of memorable experiences in the tasting room. I think uh, makes the wine taste all that much better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing is if you if you go to a winery where they don't give two shits and you literally are, you'll have places where you'll have two ounces or three ounces, not even, and places where you'll see them pouring and they're like, I poured I poured an ounce too much, right? That's a, that's that's a whole another really deep subject. That's another subject. I think uh, the corporate the corporate kind of. Yeah, but even more so than that, um, I think, and I, I've spoken to Josh, that was part of the conversation we had, maybe that was off camera, when we did our big drive to the South Okanagan too, the Okanagan wine industry is so booming in the summer season, it's flooded with tourists, those mm -hmm. wineries are uh, are hosting, you know, thousands of people, Yeah, and, um, and it's very difficult, I think, yeah. for them to find sort of the right help. Yeah, or maybe the right people with the with the with the level of wine knowledge that they need, and uh, it it becomes a case of throwing people into the tasting room, and then um, yeah, which I really disagree with because it is a lot of it is about the experience that you're creating for the person visiting your winery, and they're never going to forget it. Yeah, and that that's totally true because that's their first impression of your wine and your winery. And I know if you go in the summer, it's you're 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 fighting. There's people who go for bachelorette parties and and stuff in the wineries, and yeah, it's it can get yeah, it can get pretty crazy. And you're not gonna have that experience. As something to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I don't go to the like Vancouver Wine Festival or wine the trade show, um, yeah. which I should. I might I might go next year, but it's the same thing. You're in like a little corporate. Uh, you're at a table and you're in some little you're shoehorned in with like 50 other people and you're trying to enjoy that wine and actually get something out of it and yeah. you're getting jostled and that's why like yeah try, if you if you go off season in, in in places then you'll get way more actual interaction with the winemaker or or somebody who actually has some knowledge and stuff right and yeah 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 definitely it's a tricky one yeah <laughs> And I and I know that there's definitely two sides to that. It's it's not easy to also find the right people, and you do what you've got to do to keep your establishment going through those months, and you do the best you can. They're all we're all doing the best we can. <laughs> well, and that's that's their time to make money because if, if people aren't coming in the winter, but like you said, I guess it's like you've had you, you've given me two ounces, and now I'm supposed to make a thirty to forty dollar decision. So are you gonna buy that or not? Kind of stuff, right? Like Yeah, you know. I mean and that that there's another subject I could talk about. But like um, should people be obligated, should they feel obligated to buy a bottle yeah. after a tasting? Uh, and a lot of people get angry for being charged for tastings, but I I think it's it's good practice. If you are going to a winery, you have a great experience, you've enjoyed the wine, buy a bottle, support the winery yeah. and uh, yeah, it's worth it. For sure, for sure, and and if if you know buy you're gonna, a case. what's that, right? Buy a case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, if you're gonna get charged five bucks or ten bucks or whatever, and then you buy a, you know, a thirty dollar bottle, unless you really don't like, unless there's something like you're not like you said, you're not gonna buy every bottle that you possibly try. But if you yeah. come up with a bottle, if you hit four or five wineries and you come home with four or five bottles, it's not a bad day, yeah. right? So definitely. And you're you're yeah, buying. It's, it's it's a lot more memorable to open that bottle at dinner, 
a few weeks later, you remember the experience you had. Um, it's it's a lot. I don't know. It it's a lot nicer than maybe going down to the liquor store and buying it. Yeah, you celebrate sure. sort of a great holiday or whatever. Yeah. Was it. I I tend to I generally if I do a tasting I'll 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 always buy at least one bottle. Yeah, that's the thing. Is there's at least one that you'll come out of there enjoying or or you'll find at least one for sure that you're like, oh yeah, this one, this one speaks to me or whatever. Yeah. I bought, like I said, I bought that Riesling from the hatch and sure. part of it is because in October, I'm hoping to have my friend Alex, uh, who's a Psalm down here in Vancouver. I'm hoping to have her come out and do some blind tastings and stuff and okay. do, do like a podcast with a group of us, um, who are all like super passionate, like wine, you know, wine connoisseurs and, and have her do, have us kind of run us through a blind tasting, but then, one of the wines I want to have is that recent because I know she's a bit a huge recent fan. She likes mm. that the Tantalus uh, recent a lot. So oh, Tantalus! Um, yeah. I I got my first taste of Tantalus. I think uh, it was about two weeks ago. I went to Old Vine Tasting. They had a ten year lineup of Riesling. Yeah. Phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, amazing to sort of taste a story, taste the story of a winery, and the winemaker's story. And go through each year and sort of taste what happened in the vineyard. Uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, and that's the, and that's the thing, just the memories that you got from that evening, right? That's right. That's what it's all about. That's um, what it's all about. Even when I met Alex for the first time, when we chatted, we have a we have a mutual love for Township Seven wines. Uh, uh, okay. And uh, there's one called the Black Dog, which is uh, quite one of their most well-known ones and uh so that was our kind of connection that was our moment uh over wine was was talking about that wine and uh like you said it's just those connections that you make during during those moments with two people who are who are fans of wine you know what i mean yeah yeah definitely i have yet to try any township seven wines but i'm I'll get on it immediately now <laughs> after your recommendation the black dog the Black Dog is uh, is great. Uh, their Reserve Seven is great, and uh, there's a lot of good ones. Their Merlot is great. I don't do a lot of whites, so there's not a lot of the whites that I really tried very much. Yeah. I'm more about more about the reds, but uh, this is my. I told myself this year was my year for whites and uh, Italian wines. 2018 was my more Italian wines and more whites this year. That's great. I think it's uh, that's how I'm sort of trying to conquer BC wine is every month I'm doing a varietal and then I'm just zeroing in on that varietal BC specific um, and August was all about Riesling. It really helped sort of broaden my knowledge about Okanagan Riesling, mm. BC Riesling and uh, yeah. How's the wine cellar coming along? <laughs> Is that one of your questions? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost here. It's in Vancouver. Uh, the fridge is in Vancouver in the 60 South African bottles, probably about 80% of them Chenin Blanc, <laughs> are uh, also in Vancouver just waiting to get cleared. So all nice. good. Nice. I think I, I got my liquor license yesterday for them. So exciting times. I, nice. can, I can share the South African Chenin love with my friends here in the Okanagan. And yeah. you, hopefully... You'll get down here soon enough. Yeah. We're hoping maybe Thanksgiving weekend we might try and come up with a long week, being a long weekend or Remembrance Day long weekend, something like that. We might try and come up. So. Perfect. Well, fall is the best season. when you're here. <laughs> yes. 
yeah, yeah. for sure. Fall is the best season, and uh, Okanagan is pretty cool in the fall. So. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's my favorite season too, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. the vineyards will be beautiful uh, yes. come September, October. I was looking at your blog. Yeah. And I know you had the article about, about um, overconsumption as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a good article. Thanks. Uh, well, I think it was mostly just written by everybody else, and I, I wanted to get everyone's opinion, so mm-hmm. I put it about uh, overconsumption, especially with sort of wine industry uh, individuals. So yeah. something to talk about, something that's not spoken about too much. I, uh, I, think, I think it's an important topic. And if, especially for those of us who, who love wine, the way us wine nerds love it, we yeah. tend to have a glass a night, a couple of glasses a night. And um, when does it become an issue for health? When does it become an issue for our mental well-being? When does it become an issue for those people around us? Um, so it's just important to be conscious about our consumption and um, set a good example for other people in the industry, people who are watching us, people who are joining the wine industry, not to feel this pressure to mm-hmm. attend, uh, attend attend tastings and, I don't know, overconsume no, and waste it, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I think for the most part, though, the industry, as I've been a part of it or the people I've met, that hasn't really been an issue. But I think it's still nonetheless important to talk about. No, and, and that's true because it's... I mean, there's a lot of industries like that. There's a lot of professions like that. I mean, I'm I'm in the law enforcement profession, and there's overconsumption, a lot of overconsumption in, in our industry too. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stress release, and you know, call what you want, right? Call any name you want, but it's it's overconsumption at the end of the day, right? So. Alcohol at the end of the day is a drug, yeah. and for people who might have an affinity towards addiction or a history of addiction problems can be a dangerous zone to get involved with when you work in a restaurant or a bar or in the wine industry. Yeah, it can be dangerous territory. So I think we all just need to be supportive of one another, conscious and safe. So when we were living overseas, we would have wine, but not necessarily, not an excessive amount or whatever. But when we moved here and we started like especially i started getting the wine bug when we were having our place built we were living with my mother-in-law when you're basically having someone that's available to cook and put on big meals and so you're having lots of nice fancy dinners every night and then you're consuming wine because you're they, they go with the meals and then all of a sudden you've put on 20 pounds um <laughs> you know then you realize oh okay I, I'm eating and drinking every night. You know what I mean? I know, and but it's just so it's nice. It's so nice. Drink nice things all the time. It's so nice, and someone's <laughs> putting, for living. It is for but living, yeah, and that's I and that's it. that balance. That's that balance that you talk that about, balance. right? Balance yeah. is balance is really everything. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and balance in the wine industry itself is also very very uh, important. <laughs> yeah. Balance not just in what we consume, but balance in. Gosh, I mean, I could go on another tangent, but should we just leave it? No, go, go on, go on that tangent. <laughs> I uh, I was very passionate in my time in South Africa about balancing the wine industry uh, from a color perspective, mm. from a gender perspective, and it's been refreshing to come to BC. There's a lot of women involved. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of sort of different cultures, and it's it's refreshing. South Africa, I struggled a lot yeah. with 
sort of what I saw, but I think it's changing for the better and it is it is evolving the way it's supposed to. You would assume that as the years go by that that should become a little more, a little, things should come, become a little more normal, shall we say, and not necessarily as a, as a specific concerted effort, but I try to have my podcast as kind of as equal as I can. And, and I don't necessarily go, okay, one, 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 but you know, I'll have, I'll have, I've had about four or five guys on, I've had four or five women on, and it's just worked out that way really well, especially through social media as well, that there's, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of women in the, in the BC wine industry, a lot of women online that, that I've gotten a good connection with and stuff like yourself and, and like my friend Alex and all these other people that like Bianca and and Christy Norman, uh, yeah. great, great people I've chatted with and, and being able to have on and just natural, natural connections or whatever. And, and not necessarily a specific effort to, to try and keep things exactly equal, but I, I, I do make an effort to try and make sure it's balanced in that sense. Right. That's great. Uh, my cousin, Emily is a winemaker in Ontario. She's been, she's been around the world. Uh, making wine she's she's uh, worked in New Zealand she's worked she's now in Ontario she's worked in BC and you know to see to see someone and she's fairly young as well to see someone just that's the other that's the other another mini tangent is to see mm -hmm. female psalms or or to see the growth especially with a lot of the younger professionals you know what I mean yeah. um, to see what potentially like you've got all these 24 to 30 year old uh, group that are now kind of will lead the way in the next, you know, 10, 20, whatever years. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's so cool to see. So yeah, like you said, it can only get, it can only get better through the years. Right. That's right. Definitely. I feel like I'm the one talking now. Oh no. I mean, you can ask me anything. I, I like hearing your thoughts too. And yeah, it's a conversation that goes both ways. <laughs> I think we can leave it there. Okay, cool. Um, well, thanks. Thanks so much for inviting me on. And finally, we get to have a, a conversation that's not done with our thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> typing on Instagram. So, yeah. And I, I appreciate the support. And always. Yeah, always. Uh, always. Yeah. And and at some point, we'll do, a, we'll do something more face-to-face. -face. I laugh when you said we we're like about the phone conversation. Then you're like, oh, are we talking? To, are we podcasting tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like, expecting it. I was yeah. like, here's a list of questions. Boom. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I appreciate these sort of things happening last minute and more organically than <laughs> too staged and planned. Yeah. Um, that just makes me nervous. No, exactly. And, and, <laughs> and for sure. And I at least try and give people a, a heads up on possible topics because yeah. then... You don't want them, you want to give them questions or you want to let them know a bit ahead of time of what you're going to talk about, but you don't want, uh, you don't want it to be kind of rehearsed. So, yeah. Hey, what question before I forget, what other podcasts do you listen to or do you listen to podcasts? I'm really bad with podcasts. So I, I tell myself I'm going to start listening more. So if you have any to recommend, I would, I would love that. Cause I was just listening to the Guild Psalm podcast. Oh, okay. And he, speaking about, we're talking about terroir and we're talking about what winemakers are thinking or doing or whatever. His most recent one is excellent. And I'm actually going to have him on, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, uh, Jeff Kruth. Fantastic. I, by the way, I don't know how it happens. I email people and they say, hey, sure. 
and it happens. That's because wine nerds are the coolest, nicest people you right? meet in the so, world. So <laughs> literally, so accommodating. People have been so accommodating, and when you show interest, and I just I do the whole. I'm just a small time little podcast. You know, uh, come on, <laughs> come on, and give me a favor, and and then boom, I get somebody on. And they say, "What the opportunity to do a podcast about wine? Count me in. Count me in." 20 yeah. minutes to talk about wine, my favorite subject, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, check out his because uh, he just talks to a couple of California winemakers. You're talking about like, you're, you're saying about residual sugar and you're you're talking about acid and uh, that's all the conversations that they that they were talking about. All when that good geeky stuff. All that good geeky, in. you can geek, yeah. geek the crap out of it. Um, I love it. And he just literally put it out a couple weeks ago, the, the most recent episode. I highly suggest it. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I'll pick it out for sure. So much fun talking to Katie. We could have probably talked for a couple more hours. Just trying to actually bring it down in editing down to at least an hour and keep it somewhat manageable was uh, was a bit of a task. But uh, uh, yeah, great great conversation with Katie. So I think I'll leave it there. In the next couple of weeks, we'll have a few others out. We've got a couple people that we are... Almost uh, almost have a confirmed answer with uh, Jeff Kruth and Madeline from Wine Folly and Jason Wise from uh, the Psalm Films, the director of Psalm. So that should be the next couple episodes for you guys. Take care. Have a glass for me.